Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, church. It is so good to see you. I've been away for a few weeks, and have I told you lately that I love you? I miss you. Home is the prize. It's so good to be home. Uh, We had a wonderful time away in Turkey and in Greece looking at the ancient uh, churches in the book of Revelation as well as all the early church stuff and Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth. And uh, we're in a series on the book of Acts. And so I'm going to get to share a lot of what I learned, what we saw, uh, pictures that I took. It's going to be a wonderful uh, supplement to the experience. But glad to be home. We're not going to get there yet. We're still in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Um, Pastor Lucas preached a couple of great messages. Um, I don't know if he's in the room. He might be somewhere else, but awesome job uh, with sort of the first four chapters, really. And today, you know, just because I have to stay ahead of his pace, I'm going to do five chapters today. So there you go. Take that, Pastor Lucas. So I hope you're ready. It's going to be a long day. No, no, I'm just kidding. We'll be neat and tidy. I've got some very exciting things to share with you, something about Coastline College in just a few minutes. But before we do that, just want to jump into today's context. We're going to be looking specifically at the life of Stephen, which really culminates in chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Acts. Um, And so kind of as we do that, let me just give you a bit of context. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, you would have heard Pastor Lucas talk about how the Holy Spirit came in power and and filled the apostles and those gathered in that upper room. And then through the powerful preaching of Peter, many were added to the church, 3,000 in one day. And so now you've got this great multicultural experience going on because the Jews had spread out all through the Greek world into different parts uh, just to find work and to do business and all of that. But they would come back to Jerusalem for these feast days. And it just so happened that uh, the Feast of Pentecost was on when the Spirit shows up. And so now all of these people, as Pastor Lucas said in his first message, boom, pow, right? They've become followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And so now what? How can they go back to their families? How can they go back to their old life? How can they go back to synagogue? How can, you know, there's so many things that have now become complicated for these new believers. And so what we see in this next kind of part, you know, section of the, of the book of Acts is we start to see the po- problems that come with these good things that happen in life. And one of those challenges is going to be played out in our study today. We're going to be looking at, Rome, uh, at Acts chapter 6, but I'll give you a couple of the problems just off the top. The first one, you know, there were internal and external problems, but some of the internal problems um, in chapter 5, we, we learn about um, the problem with greed, the problem with deceit, the problem with hypocrisy. And in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, um, who did some stuff with their money, which was theirs to do, but then lied about it. And listen, when we read, maybe you've not read that story. If you do read it, let me just give you a disclaimer. First of all, I don't have time to, we could just preach that or I could preach what I'm going to preach today. So we're going to just touch on that and go. But when you look at a passage like that, I want you to be careful what you assign to God. 
Be careful about how you read it, okay? Because sometimes we can assign things to God that the scriptures don't. Secondly, understand that it was so necessary for the early church to have a fiery baptism, not just in the Holy Spirit, but in the fear of the Lord. And in order for them to really experience the fear of the Lord, God had to show up in powerful ways through the apostles. And that's what we see during this time of greed, deceit, and hypocrisy in Ananias and Sapphira. But alongside of that, we have the issues of homelessness and hunger. And we have major administrative issues. I stand on this platform thousands of years later here to tell you that the church still has major administrative issues. And you know what? I'm so encouraged today as we're going to start just in a minute to get into the text. I'm so encouraged today that even the guys who had physically been with Jesus were terrible at HR. It's not just me. It's not just me. So we learn a lot today, but we also get to just have a little bit of perspective about how real life is and how God wants to meet us in those real moments. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It's It starts this way, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So keep those two groups in mind. It's the first sort of faction within within the church because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the Christians had adopted a way of looking at uh, caring for those in need that was akin to what the Jews did on, on Friday twice a day, um, there were different groups of people that were given money and food. And this was a Jewish custom that the Christians, those you know, who were practicing the way, picked up as well, and they started to distribute food. Um, and, and this lets us know that there was a problem. The very first problem was that these followers of Jesus were no longer welcome to return home, and so they were cut off from financial means, which put a great burden on this early church. Those who had gathered around the apostles wanted to learn more, wanted to know what to do with the gift of God that had come to them, and so these new converts found themselves unable to return home, and the widows among them, who were the very most vulnerable, were actually homeless and impoverished and starving. So God sends a solution. If you look carefully at the end of chapter 4, you see that there was this great generosity amongst the church. They just gave and gave and gave, and they distributed equally, and if I had something, you can have it, and so on. It's actually quite beautiful. And one example that's cited is a man named Barnabas, and we'll get to talk about Barnabas a little bit later once we get into Paul's life. But Barnabas, it says, was generous, and he was a son of encouragement, and he sold a field, and he brought the money to the apostles. So one problem solved. Now there's money. And that leads me into a commercial. Are you ready for the commercial break? The commercial break is this. God has blessed Coastline Church. And we have a very generous church, and many of you give generously. But the Lord laid it on someone's heart with a Barnabas spirit to do something incredibly beautiful, uh, to kickstart something of great interest to us as a church. So I'm here to tell you about Coastline College. This is our new accredited program that's launching this fall as a response to what we believe God is calling us back to as a church. In the 40s, E.A. Robinson started uh, a Bible college right here in our church that eventually became Summit Pacific College. And so we're returning to our roots in the launching of Coastline College. And so ready for the commercial, take a look at the screens as we introduce you to this new adventure. 
There is this photo, this quote, that rings deep in the heart of our lead pastor, Andy. So much so it's more than a quote, but a reminder of the mission. It hangs on a picture frame above his desk and it comes to define the heart of this house. The island is calling and I must go. From local churches to missionaries being sent out, our heart and vision is to continually see life-giving churches planted and people taking next steps in their calling and life because of who Jesus is. None of that can happen without training, sending, and equipping future leaders of His church. Coastline Church is a sending church. It's in our DNA from when we first began. And it's where we believe God is calling us to focus our efforts now. Yet without the proper foundations, without training for leaders, a place where people can get, you know, first-hand ministry experience, education, mentorship, and coaching, we're forgetting the thing we need to do first. Building and discipling the leaders of tomorrow, preparing them for fruitful ministry ahead. That's why Coastline College exists. It's our response to the need that we see for reaching our island or for wherever God is taking you. It's based in the local church, using accredited courses and providing training that is robust, theological, and deeply practical. This September, we're launching our first year foundations program. This is a 10 month program designed to develop deep foundations for anyone who calls himself a Christian. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with young professionals and young adults who have a genuine hunger for a deeper and more stable faith who wish they would have just taken one year to create foundations for their future. If you are trying to figure out where God is calling you, if you aren't sure of your direction, but you know you want a deeper understanding of life and theology, or maybe you really feel like full-time ministry is your calling, but you wanna get a taste of what that looks like, our first year program is exactly what you've been looking for. We have designed year one with you in mind. Giving God a year. Giving God one year. Giving God a year. Allowed me to, to serve the church. It allowed me to get involved in ministry. When I gave God a year, it really like set me up for the future that I think God has for me. I never pictured myself working in a church. I never pictured or imagined ministry as like the call that was on my life. But I feel like in that time, that was exactly what God was asking me to do. And now I see how he has just used that to open up doors and position me exactly where he wants me. It just reshaped my trajectory, it set my foundation. And at the same time, also just investing in my faith, growing in, and just my passion for the Lord. I think the biggest thing for me was just learning how to just give God time and just seeing how he can move in that time that you give him. Giving God a year helped me to discern what I wanted to do vocationally, and it gave me the space to serve, to think about it, to process what would it look like to work in ministry. It helped me see behind the scenes a bit of ministry, just the life of, of people who work in ministry. Getting to see how meetings work and just the staff culture, because before that I'd only really been around on Sundays. I loved the teaching moments that I received from getting to hear from people who were so much further along in their faith and who had just like a depth and a knowledge of God's word. It was such a rich environment for me to grow and to learn and to allow God to shape me. It just developed me into who I am today. They're not paying me to say this, but seriously, like it, it really changed my life. What I'm most excited about for the college is how the entire experience is built on relationships and team dynamics. Everything we do on a pragmatic level is done side by side. 
Year one specifically will be outworked in five main ways. Weekly service, every week a place to serve, grow your ministry scope and bless the church. Classroom learning and then also cohort learning. We know we need to dive deep into education and theology, but doing that in a classroom, doing that with people where you can discuss and debate, we believe is so key. Individual coaching, this part is where you'll have key leaders and people speaking into your life, helping you as you build foundations. And finally, a missions trip, where you can experience ministry outside of your traditional Canadian context. Together, all these areas are designed to provide 10 months of rich, dynamic formation for students to grow and to learn together. The purpose of this program is threefold, to help students discover calling, develop spiritual maturity, and learn what ministry is all about. We're all called to play a part in the body of Christ. For some, that's pastoral ministry. For others, that's running a business, teaching, medicine, whatever it is. We want this year to create the foundation you need for the rest of your life. Ministry is not just church work. God's plan is so much grander than that. And our passion is to reach Vancouver Island with the message and ministry of Jesus. I have always dreamed of seeing life-giving churches across our island. That's the end goal, the heart of this house. Yet without a training center, a place to mobilize and help young people catch the vision, it remains a hopeful dream instead of a reality. You know, Paul said to young Timothy, fan to flame the gift of God that is in you. And so let me speak to the Timothys listening to this video, seeing it right now. Listen, there's a flame in you and God is speaking to you about fanning that flame. Let it burn with resilience and with passion. God is calling to many of you. And I want you to know the church needs its next generation of leaders. It needs young men and women like you to hear the call, to be trained and go. And Coastline College is the very way we see that dream realized. Listen, I believe in you. Let's reach this island together. I was once talking to a mentor about going to Bible college and I couldn't decide if it was the right timing. Could I afford it? Was it where I was supposed to you know, be? Am I truly called? Is it the right place? Am I hearing God right? And he interrupted me, he stopped me. He said, Lucas, just, just stop making excuses. And then he asked me a question. He looked at me straight in the eye and he said, when has giving God one intentional year of your life ever been a bad idea? I've never heard someone just talk so much. Just, just go. And I wanna ask you the same question. What are you waiting for? Give God a year. I'm inviting you to reach Vancouver Island with the message and ministry of Jesus. Join us in the Great West Coast, one of Canada's most adventurous and diverse mission fields to discover your call and make an impact. Yeah, yes. Well, I just got to tell you how excited I am about what God's put in our hands to do, and we're going to do everything we can with it. So I want to thank you for praying with us about Coastline College. If you're here, it may be, and you're kind of in that gap year season, you kind of finished high school in university or thinking about university, we want you to consider this. Um, and some of you are kind of grade 11, 12, the years to come, this program's going to be there. This is our way of training and releasing leaders. And let me just go on record as saying we are so thankful for the institutions that are doing this. But let me just help you understand why. Why are we doing this? Why coming back to the local church? I'll tell you why. Because for every one senior pastor that's put in position, seven retire. 
seven retire. So those stats are not good. And there are great needs in the landscape of Canada for leaders that are trained that will step into roles. And so we want to help with that. We just want to do our part. And we believe that God is calling us. So I mentioned earlier that there is a Barnabas among us. And uh, someone came to me after we shared about the college the very first time and said to me, I'm so on board with this. I want to offer $40,000 of matching funds to underwrite the college. And I told you we needed $100,000 for that. So I want you to know we have $40,000 committed. And I believe that that's a motivation for each of us to say, I want to give and I want to give now because I want every dollar that I give to become two and every 10 to become 20 and so on. So I want to encourage you, give. If you want to give online, you can do that. Look for Coastline College. If you want to give uh, next door, you can do that. Just write it on your envelope. Or if you do e-transfer, just put it in the notes. And let's smash our goal of $100,000. Let's do it together. It's going to outfit our classrooms. It's going to underwrite our first two years of programming. And we're going to just see this thing launch. And it's going to be exciting. Someday heaven will tell the story of leaders that were trained at Coastline College. Amen? Amen. Okay, commercial's over. All right, back to where we were. Back to the story. So because of Barnabas, now they have the money, but they need to use it well. And so there's a second problem that we see in this first verse, and we saw it in the context of there's the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. And what we need to understand about that is that the problem was based on language. It's interesting that the revival came through language when the spirit was poured out, but the problem still remained. It was language. It was Hebraic and Hellenistic. The Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. The Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic. And so they had a language gap. And so the apostles were doing their best. But obviously, if I'm trying to talk to you about meeting your need, I'm also listening to you and and trying to understand your words. If we have a language barrier, I might take the funds and put it where I know they're going to get where they need to go, and maybe I'm overlooking, not intentionally, but overlooking this need right here. So let's listen to how the apostles and the early church deal with this problem. Verse 2. So the 12 gathered all their disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit. Now that's key for us today. Think Think about that. Hang on to that. Full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Good for you, apostles. They knew their job. They knew what they were good at. They knew what they were called to, and they stuck with it. They didn't allow, listen, this is important. They didn't allow what was urgent to move them from what was important, right? And so here's my little dad tip for all the dads in the house. Listen, set your priorities. Set your priorities and really function in the places that only you can function in the life of your children, in the life of your family. This is my one plug for dads today. Listen, don't trade what is urgent for what's important. You decide. Take priorities in place, define them, and live them out. And maybe you actually need to say exactly what the apostle said. It is not good for me to blank. Maybe that's the process so that you can actually say these are the things that are really, really important. So dads, great example for us today. We're going to define priorities and keep them. So you can think about that while you eat your hot dog. Okay? Sound good. 
I'm inspired by the early church. I really am. And I'm, I'm so excited that we get to walk through this together over the summer months. But the thing that makes me really, wow, about the leadership of the early church, the thing that makes me really uh, like, um, inspired is this idea that they said you must be full of the Spirit. It says these people that are going to do this job, they must be full of the Spirit. And this is encouraging as well for us. I'll tell you why. Because the reason why the apostles said, listen, choose people who are full of the Spirit. Why? Because some aren't. That's why. It wasn't like just choose anybody. No, no. It was like you got to find someone who's full of the Spirit. And so if in the early church, when the Spirit of God had just been poured out, when 3,000 were saved, when the Spirit came in power, if there were people there that weren't filled with the Spirit, weren't full of the Spirit, how could we not agree that in our midst, in our church, in my life, there can be times where I'm not full of the Spirit? I need to be full of the Spirit. And that's who was chosen for leadership. And I just find this so interesting. The Greek word here is playrace. And playrace means to be filled up, to be complete. That's what it means, playrace. But the thing that's so interesting about this is it kind of reminds me of my phone, you know. Um, my phone carries a charge. And I try to charge it up every night. And then as soon as I wake up in the morning, I put it on low power mode so it will last the day because I don't want it to die. Why? I want my phone. If, as soon as my phone is dead, I'm going home. That's it. Day's over. It's done, right? So, you know, you've all had that experience where you just didn't get it plugged in quite right. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm in the red. Or, or maybe some of you, you know, you, you've just been traveling and you're, you know, you're taking photos, you're doing whatever, and next thing you know, your battery's almost dead. That's why you need a friend like Luke to travel with. He had my back. He had the big, what's that thing called? Charger. It's a charger of thing. You stick, portable charger. Anyway, and he, he kept, me, kept me going. Luke, you were my man. Thank you for that. Uh, but the worst of all is these, this little phrase that your kids say, Dad, can I have your phone? It's done. Your battery is toast. You're done. They're going to use that battery the whole time. And your data is going through the roof as well. Just, you know, word to the wise, okay? Word to the wise. It's very frustrating to come to the end of your battery life. And I want you to know in the same way, just in principle, just like our phones, we need a full charge in order to get through the day. We need the full charge in order to deal with life the way that it's happening. We need the full charge. And so... Let's read on, verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full. Come on, somebody, say that with me, full. He was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and also Philip and Prochorus and, and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So we're going to talk about this for just a minute, but let me give you the brilliant subtext. We have all these guys from Stephen all the way down to Nicholas. And all of these guys, they're interesting. There's a subtext here. You'd miss it if you didn't really hear someone share it with you. These are not Hebrew names. These are Greek names. Problem solved. We can't speak Greek. We speak Aramaic. Get some Greek people in here. Very practical. Extremely practical. So they chose seven, full of the Holy Spirit, but also in a very practical way, they could get the job done. 
They can actually do the job. But I want you to notice what was important. The Bible says that these were brought to the apostles and they laid their hands on them. Because, you know, I want you to notice how important the calling was in this case. Some of you would agree with me. Like, I don't need a calling to make a list and deliver a basket of food. But they saw something we didn't see. And they saw this. They saw that your calling is both practical and spiritual. It's real. And they said, you know what? We're going to identify that by the laying on of hands. This is not just a simple exercise. And so when we're thinking about our college, it's got to be practical. And we're putting the practical stuff in. But we are touching some sacred stuff here. Because God is calling people. And God wants to use people. And God wants to anoint people. And God wants to bring breakthrough through people. So although it's practical, it is also sacred and spiritual and worth discovering. So notice how seriously they took it. The apostles stayed on the important rather than the urgent, and the result was fruitfulness. Look at what it says in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the apostles wanted leaders full of the Spirit because people who are full of the Spirit are fruitful. Yeah? They're fruitful. That's why I'm saying to you, that's why I'm speaking to myself, we need to be full. Why? Because there's fruit that needs to come through our lives. So Stephen, he's kind of our main character today. Stephen was the first one mentioned in that list. And here's what it says about him in verse 8. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, here's that word, full again, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, so did you catch that? He signed up to deliver food, but this was no ordinary hamper drop-off. You see what I'm saying here? He was so full of the Spirit of God that when he started to do his work, wonders and signs began to happen among the people. God was receiving glory from this man's life. He wasn't just dropping off food. And over and over again, when we see the life of Stephen, this word full shows up. Full. I want to give you the further definition of full. I said it was pleris, and I said that it means filled up and complete. But it also means covered in every part. It means thoroughly permeated. It means not lacking anything. It means perfect. So when you think about the life of Stephen, and we read that the word says that he was full, what it's actually saying to us is that he was overflowing. Not only was he overflowing, but he had an abundant completeness about him. And the most important thing of his life, in the most important areas, he was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6 verse 10 says he was full of wisdom. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 says he was full of faith. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says he was full of grace and power. And so we need to talk about those four things. Because this was the sign, this was the evidence of this man's being full. And so Stephen was a man who was playrace, as I mentioned in the Greek. He lacked nothing when it came to wisdom. He was thoroughly permeated with faith. He was covered in every part with grace. He was filled up with power. Wow. That's quite a testimony. I don't know if there was any of the other disciples that had this kind of a testimony about them, but it's right here about Peter because he so embodied these treasures. 
So let's talk about these four for just a few minutes. Four signs of being full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was full of wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? Wisdom. I want to keep reading with you now because we see his wisdom at work right here in the next little section. It says, opposition arose. This is what always happens. He's doing signs and wonders. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. Those were Roman slaves. They were Jewish, but they were slaves to Rome, and they were freed, and they got together and made a synagogue. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Verse 10. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. That is awesome. That is evidence of the power of the Spirit at work in his life. I need wisdom. You need wisdom. When we face opposition, we need wisdom. And friends, we're there right now. As a church, as a Christian, understand we've got some real issues assaulting our faith, don't we? We're dealing with real challenges. We're being asked to go on record with biblical morality that actually infuriates people. We need wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. We need to be filled with the fullness of his wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul knew this so well, so he speaks to the Colossians and he says this, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He knew is what was needed. I'm praying for you that you have wisdom. I need wisdom when it comes to making my decisions. How about you? I need wisdom when it comes to the tough conversations that I end up having to have on a fairly regular basis. I I need wisdom when it comes to the conflicts of life and when it comes to managing my time and managing my resources. I need wisdom from the Spirit of God. And so I pray for you, my friends, my loved ones, I pray for you that God would make you full of the Holy Spirit and give you wisdom in Jesus' name. We need it. We need to be full, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, he was full of faith. Stephen was full of faith. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Acts 6, 5. His faith was out front. I love this about Stephen. It's the very first thing, actually, that we learn about him. He, we're introduced to him, and the first thing it says is that he was a person of faith. His faith was out front. And this, boy, I tell you, I, I was, when I read this, I was challenged by it because I, I asked myself a question. I said, how long do people need to know me before they're when they realize I'm a person of faith? Is it minutes? Is it hours? Is it days? Weeks? Months? Is it years? That people might interact with me and not know that I'm a person of faith? How about you? How about your coworkers and your neighbors and, you know, those in your life, those that you go to the gym with, those that you see on a regular basis? You know, it's funny. I've often thought, maybe as Christians, we're better secret agents than we are ambassadors. <laughs> you know? An ambassador is like, I am, an, I am here as an agent of my king, and I love my country, and here I am. The secret agent is like, dun, dun. Dun, 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 right? Like, nobody's going to know. 
I am so good at this. I can fool anybody. Nobody knows that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm afraid at times we're much better secret agents than we are ambassadors. And and so I pray for you in Jesus' name that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and have a faith that is out front in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would have confidence and joy in that faith in Jesus' name and that you would not be weird in Jesus' name. Yeah. The Holy Spirit can help us make sense to people, hey? Make our faith attractive and beautiful because I need, being full of the Holy Spirit means that I have a deep and stabilizing trust in who God is and I need that. It means that I I can pray faith-filled prayers and I can bring faith-filled encouragements to other people and I can remain full of faith for my kids and for my finances and for my future when the future looks crazy, when I look at world events and I see cultural confusion, I can stand with a belief that God is still God and he's going to be Lord in his world. Amen? I can stand there. So I pray for that, for you, for me. Holy Spirit, may we be full of faith. This is the kind of faith that we need. Stephen was also full of grace. (sighs) I wish I was better at grace. Stephen was so full of grace, and I want you to see how, how I see this coming to the surface in his life if, as we continue to read. He's facing this opposition, and here's what it says in verse 13. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will, will, will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So in other words, what they're doing is they're giving him the same, they're accusing him of the same thing they accused Jesus of. You know, when you want to follow Jesus, at some point you identify with him, and I can almost hear Jesus' words ringing in the air, take up your cross and follow me. Stephen is following his Lord, he's following his Savior, and he's experiencing the same things that Jesus experienced. And then verse 15 says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and look what it says about him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. My kids only look like angels when they're sleeping. (laughs) What a grace. What a grace to be confronted, you know? To be lied about and accused, and yet for the grace of God to be present on my countenance. You need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. Hey, I can think of a lot of feelings and emotions that might have been present in this moment, but the grace of God was so evident through him that it was present on his face. What a work of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, I need this. I need this, and you need this when you're dealing with family. Sometimes you need more grace with family than with anybody else. Hey, you just want to smack them, don't you? Tell the truth. Don't lie. You're in church. Right? You know, when you're dealing with that infuriating work colleague, when I was thinking of that, I was watching, I was thinking of this movie with Will Ferrell. This could be a bad idea to go here, but I was thinking, it's kicking and screaming. It's like a soccer movie. It's like, it's Disney. It's PG at the most. And he says, I'm so angry. I'm just a swirling tornado of anger. 
And I've just thought about this when I thought about how infuriating work colleagues can be. I need grace. I have great work colleagues, by the way. <laughs> you need grace. They, actually, they need grace. Pray for my team. They need grace. How about when you're driving? Anybody need grace? Oh, and Victoria. Yeah. But the thing that's probably the hardest for me is if I'm wrongly accused or my motives are judged, it's hard to have grace in those moments, right? And I I, want to turn to, we're having a good time together, but can I just be serious with you for one second? I, I think that some of you are here and you need grace to forgive yourself. And that's going to be through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually going to give you the capacity to let go of the past that Jesus has already forgiven, but that you hold on to. We need grace. We need a grace that we're not capable of, that only the Holy Spirit can work in. And this is the kind of grace that we can receive. This is what Stephen walked in. It also said that he walked in power. And this is my closing thought for you. You know, the Bible says that the power of the Holy Spirit is there. When we're weak, he intercedes for us. When we're hopeless, he helps us overflow with hope. When we feel like we're grasping for straws, he says it's the Spirit that comes and gives you the ability to grasp the fullness of of the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen has already been used powerfully. We already read it about, you know, the grace and the power of God to perform signs and wonders. That's Acts 6, 8. But this is what Jesus promised. He promised us power. He promised us power. The Bible says uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll receive this power so that you can be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the fun thing about this series that we're in is in the weeks to come, we get to see all of that happen. Right now we're in Jerusalem, but soon we get to see the rest of the story. And it's so exciting. But I want you to understand this word power is the word dunamis in the Greek, which is this explosive. It's where we get our word for dynamite. It's this explosive power. Power. And that's what was promised by Jesus. And that's what we see Stephen walking in. And, and the power is to be my witness. Did you know the word witness in the Greek is martus? And the word martus, when translated into English, is martyr. And so God gives through the Spirit the power to lay down one's life for Jesus and for the gospel. And that really is what happens in Stephen's life. He is the very first martyr of the Christian faith. And with all the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he engaged his future. His brief life teaches us so much. Acts 7 records his great sermon to those who are listening. And you can read that this week. But I'm confident that Stephen knew that this sermon would cost him his life. I'm confident that he knew because never once throughout the whole sermon, you read it yourself this week, he never defends himself. He never makes a case for himself. He simply testifies to Jesus. He had this powerful witness about who Jesus is, and he said to those with the power, he said, you're the ones that killed him. 
Not only that, you kill all of the prophets. And not only that, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And his life comes to an end. And yet we see a man full of the Holy Spirit as his life ends. Let's honor this martyr by reading his demise. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing, not sitting, standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And with the closing remarks of this chapter, we honor Stephen while they were stoning him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. We honor our very first martyr, and I think it's appropriate for us even today to just know that the gospel has a cost and that people have paid a high cost for us to be here today, to have this word in our language and to live the life of freedom that we currently live. And there are people right now putting their lives on the line for the gospel, and we honor them today, and we pray your grace upon them, Lord. But by being full, Stephen lived and died with wisdom and with grace and with faith and certainly with power. And listen, you can too. That's the point of the story. It's not applause for Stephen. It's an encouragement and an inspiration for the church. We too can live this way, friends. Do you know that? Do you feel it? Do you believe it? Because it's true. You can live full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You certainly can. You certainly can. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you see what others can't see. Heaven open. Jesus standing, not ashamed. I'll preach, Lord. You testify in ways that you will never even know when you're full of the Holy Spirit. Because when we look at this story, we often go, wow, that's a very compelling story. It's powerful. The detail is present. I'm there. I, can, I have a picture of it. But listen, there wasn't, there wasn't a disciple there. There wasn't an apostle there. There was an accuser there, and his name was Saul. And when God got a hold of his life, which we'll see in the weeks to come, he reflected back on a story that he saw, a man whose face was like the face of an angel, a man who gave his life just like his Lord Jesus did. It so impacted Paul. Your testimony is reaching further than you know. So hold on and let the power of the Holy Spirit work in you. And the power of the Holy Spirit can actually give you the ability to forgive. In fact, it was Augustine who said of Stephen that we owe the Apostle Paul to the prayer that Stephen prayed that day. If that's not moving, I'm not sure what is. Let's have a minute to pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Think back to that little illustration I made about your phone. Some of you say, man, I'm just living on red and I'm almost dead. (laughs) 
you know, sometimes we get into survival mode. We get into places where we just live, you know, with just enough gas to get home. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us a fullness, a fullness that really is indicative of the story that we're hearing today and the inspiration that the Lord wants to give you is you don't have to live another day being empty. You can be full. You can be full. You know, I just traveled in ancient places, and one of the things that so amazed me was the fact that over and over again, we found these ancient springs that were still giving water. We're talking about thousands and thousands upon thousands of civilizations that had taken water from these sources, and yet they've never stopped bubbling. Listen, understand what I'm saying. This wisdom, this kind of courage and power and, and faith... This, this reality that we see in Stephen, it wasn't because Stephen was such a great source. It was because he knew where to drink. And so, listen, you drink deep of the Spirit of God today. You can do that today, right now, right now. So we say, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you into our lives. Come Holy Spirit. Come and fill us in a fresh way so that that source, we're drinking from it to the place where we are full. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't just be happy to be filled, but we would want to be full. Lord, we need greater wisdom, greater faith, greater grace, greater power. And Lord, we have an image. We have in our hearts this ability to have a vision to believe that you can bring transformation to our lives and through our lives to those that we love. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us in those places where we feel as though we lack, make us full. We drink deep of the ancient spring of the Holy Spirit today, and we welcome you. And I, I pray, Lord, I pray for that one that's in the house right now who is saying that deep in their hearts, what they know is that they need a Savior. And I thank you, Jesus that you bring a rescue, and it is by the Holy Spirit that we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And so I pray for that one today who's saying, I want to get right with you, God. I want to encourage you, speak to you for just a moment. Give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, be Lord. Be Lord, and begin now to experience the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.